Ready to rock and roll, 12.04 right here. And the contact number for Savan here is Savan at theinsurancelawyer.ca or help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. His number, 416-216-5910. As we uh, flip for every the bird. See you, February. Adios. Yeah, Sunny God. outside. Reasonably bright. And, uh, well, the day's bright. Don't know how bright we feel on Sunday morning, but everything's looking okay. How are you yeah. doing? How are you doing, I'm doing good, John. Everything yeah. is looking great. And, uh, you know, despite the fact the temperatures are hopefully slowly going to rise. They are. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we still have a lot of snow and ice on the roads. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's still causing a lot of headaches for a lot of people, uh, which means accidents, which mean uh, that, uh, you know, people call me. You and, and, you know, they have a lot of questions. And, and one of these uh, people that called me is, uh, is a lady. She's a 68-year-old lady, very, very nice lady. Uh, from Tottenham that okay. I actually went to see uh, just last week. And she's a longtime listener. And uh, sh- she said that she was in a car accident just about a week and a half ago. And it was a fairly significant accident. In fact, when I pulled up to, to her driveway, I saw the car, which was uh, pretty badly damaged. And, uh, you know, sh- she's been working for the last 24 years as a personal support worker okay. in Newmarket. She's uh, very dedicated to her job. It's a very physical job. Uh, like I said, very, very nice lady. And you can see that she's in a lot of pain. I mean, as she was walking, she was limping. And and the reason she called me is because, uh, you know, lo and behold, uh, when she told her insurance company about the accident, uh, the adjuster wanted to set up a time to come and speak with her and take a statement. Sure he did. And she heard me say that, you know, just avoid that. At the very least, get some legal advice before that happens. Smart. Exactly. So I went and we chatted. I was there for about an hour and a half. Uh, and I explained to her exactly what's going to transpire. And I told her that, you know, if she's having difficulty going back to work, which obviously she does, and her family doctor told her to be off work for the next little while, that she's going to be entitled to certain benefits. And so we went through that. We went through the process of me explaining exactly what benefits she's entitled to and what claims she may potentially have against uh, the, the truck that rear-ended her car. Uh, and, and, and again, it's not something that we can necessarily know right now because we don't know if within a few weeks or a few months she's going to get better 100%. But at least she knows now what her options are. And, and so it was very, very smart on her part to give me a call for us to meet and go over all her options so that now she's completely informed and she knows exactly what she can do vis-a-vis her own insurance company Good. as well as the insurance company of the guy that was at fault for the accident. It's that said that phone call was key, right? Not just to jump key. anything, talk to an adjuster. You never know what you're going to say. They're masters of language. You just want to make sure you, you talk to somebody like yourself first, right? Absolutely, exactly. And, and you know, how many times have I seen people and spoken to people who went to, to other lawyers? And again, I, I keep saying this there's, there's a lot of good lawyers out there, yep. and, and a lot of lawyers who are uh, they're good, but they don't necessarily explain the law, don't explain all the options and, and everything that comes with it to the person. And so people out there are feeling in the dark. And, and, you know, aside from the fact that you don't know if your lawyer is really doing what they're supposed to, the most important thing is that you are aware of what the law is and how it applies to your particular situation. And that leads me to the second case, the second lady that I saw this week. uh, Again, a lady that heard this on the radio, and she was in a car accident in January 2014. She's in her mid-30s, and she suffered a concussion. Now, the concussion was fairly significant and continued on. It didn't go away. In fact, when her own insurance company sent her to their own experts, their experts actually confirmed the concussion and confirmed the symptoms that she was experiencing. No kidding. Exactly. Now, remember, John, remember we talked about how unless you break a bone or have a significant tear, 
you're placed by your insurance company in a category that's called the minor injury guidelines. The MIG. The MIG, exactly. Yep. And that means that you have very limited amount of money available for treatments, up to $3,500. And just in general, the claim is looked at as though it's not significant, right. even though the person's life may have been turned completely upside down. And, uh, you know, the fact that she went to her home, uh, to, to, to the insurance company's doctor, and they themselves confirmed that, in fact, uh, she had a concussion and was ongoing, she was taken out of the MIG, which means that now she, um, she had a lot more benefits. She had up to $50,000 of rehabilitation benefits available to her. And she, she was going through that. Now, here's the reason why I'm bringing up this case. She got a phone call. She wasn't represented. She got a phone call from the insurance company of the at-fault driver. Gotcha. And, and that adjuster uh, that spoke with her got some information from her, probably assessed the significance of the injury, the significance of the injury fairly quickly, and offered her five thousand dollars to just shut the file down to close it down. And, and, and five she, grand, five That's grand. It? And she was very smart. She said, "Absolutely not. I want to see what happens. You know, this is a concussion. This is a head injury." Now, she's been getting better and better and better, but she's not 100% better, which is exactly why she came to see me. And we spoke about the claim. We spoke about her options. She still has some time to make a decision. And as I say to everyone, you know, our practice at our office uh, is not to push people to do something. It's to give you information and and give you our recommendations, and then you make a decision. And, And, you know, sleep on it, talk to your family, talk to your friends. Whatever you need to do, uh, don't get pushed into making a, a decision that could result in, in a life-altering experience for you. Even and if it I'll seems, tell you what happens with that after the commercial. Even if it seems like a fair offer, just, just hang back. Hang back. Take it easy. Exactly. Make the phone and call. get some legal advice. Exactly. exactly. And that number is 416-216-5910. You have questions, you can ask them uh, on emails while help at the insurance lawyer. Uh, pardon me. Help at the insurance lawyer.ca. It was a long night. Just getting warmed up here, the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio AM 640. Savan at theinsurancelawyer.ca or help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And Savan's number is 416-216-5910. Want to get into some questions about uh, after medical treatment and after an accident. And uh, right after this, we'll get to uh, the employment hour. And uh, your partner and our friend Lior's just walked into the studio, which is a mistake because now we're going we're gonna, to gonna beat him like a pack horse. Yes, we're we going to use you this hour. Something's going to come up for sure where we're going to put him on the air, guaranteed. So, well, exactly. exactly. Yeah, in that time. Um, so after an accident, if uh, an ambulance is called and offers to take you to the hospital, should you go? Okay, well, that's an interesting question because right. it really depends on how you feel. But most times people, when they're in an accident, uh, they won't necessarily feel uh, the pain right there and then. They're okay. going to be in shock. And, and you know, it's, it's only going to be a few hours later or, or even a day later that they're going to feel tremendous neck pains and, neck pain, and back pains, uh, etc. So, you know, what I tell people is this. If, if, if you feel any hint of an injury, if you feel like your neck is sore, something is wrong, if there's that sense, yes. Go Make sure gut. that you go with the Yeah, you go with the ambulance. I mean, listen, they're asking you for a reason. They're asking you because they think that it might be a good idea for you to go. Uh, not to mention the fact that if there is a potential claim down the road, you know, let's look at it, uh, you know, a year later, if we're looking backwards, uh, you're being asked, well, after the accident, the ambulance attended, uh, the ambulance attended, uh, did they ask you if you needed to go to the hospital? And you say yes. And then they ask you, well, what did you say? And if you say no, what home. does it look like? Yeah. I, I went home. Exactly. It looks as though, well, obviously the, the injuries were not significant or it didn't seem that it was significant because the accident perhaps was quote unquote minor. So, you know, if you feel anything wrong, if you feel any, any hint of pain, you should definitely go and get checked out. Okay. So now you've gone to the hospital. What should you tell the doctor and nurses? 
Okay, well, you should be telling the doctors, nurses, everything that is bothering you. Uh, they're going to ask you what happened. I mean, they're going to know if you've been transported there uh, with an ambulance, you're going to be taken to the emergency department. Very, very important that you outline exactly what bothers you. And, and I'll tell you why. I, I actually was dealing with a case recently where the entire case rested on whether or not my client's knee injury was actually caused as a result of the accident. Right. And the reason why there was a question is because he had an issue with his knee uh, in the years prior to the accident, but nothing. there was nothing in the medical records that indicated that in the months before the accident, he was complaining about his knee. Uh, there was just no, no issue with it. And so the accident happens, and he hit his knee on the, uh, on the dashboard. Yep. Uh, but when he went to the hospital, that's, that wasn't his primary complaint. He actually okay. complained about back pain, neck pain, some rib pains. Uh, there was no mention of the knees. In fact, it was only about, a f- about two, three weeks later that there was first mention in his medical records of knee pain. Right. Now, fast forward about a year later... It got so bad, and when they did an MRI, they saw that he actually had a tear. He had to have surgery on his knee. And, of course, the insurance company for the at-fault driver was questioning whether or not the accident actually caused uh, this injury. Because or whether, it didn't come up right away with It, it him, didn't come right? up right away, exactly. Yeah. They were saying, listen, he had an issue from before the accident, and this was a gradual progression. And, of course, we're saying, yes, he had issues before. But the fact that he hit his knee on the dashboard then accelerated whatever issue he had, which resulted in the eventual surgery, which perhaps he would not have had had the accident not occurred. Oh, so I my see. point is that, that you know, if you're going to the hospital or you're going to the family doctor or a walk-in clinic the day of the accident, the next day, whenever it is, you make sure that you tell them from head to toes what exactly is bothering you. Because those records are going to be key down the road when you're being asked, what were your injuries from the accident? And a past or pre-existing condition is not always a deal breaker then. No, it's not a deal breaker right. at all. In fact, in that case, because, because my client had um, issues before the accident, the argument was that because he had these issues before, he was therefore more vulnerable. Right. right? If he had a 20-year-old... Exactly. If, and it's all about the angles, uh, yep. John. It, it's, it, it's, it's a case of, well, if, if this guy was completely healthy... If he just struck his knee the way he did uh, on the dashboard, would he have had the same injury? And most of the time, if you're already suffering from something uh, to some part of your body, and, and then you get struck uh, uh, on on that part of the body during the accident, most of the time that's going to just exacerbate the uh, the, the pain. Should you always follow up with your family doctor? I guess so, right? You should. You should. And a lot of people don't have family doctors, so I tell them go to a walk-in clinic. Right. You know, but make sure that there is a medical record that outlines uh, you know, the progression of your symptoms. And again, this is, this is having foresight. I mean, if you have a claim a few months down the road, a year down the road, and we're looking back in time, and you're saying that you have these tremendous pains that perhaps are stopping you from you know, doing housework, going to work, doing certain things... And when we're looking at the medical records, it looks like you've seen a doctor just once in the past year. It looks suspicious. It just looks odd. Irrespective of the fact that you may be the type of person who doesn't complain and and doesn't like to go to the doctor, the fact is that the medical records speak volumes. You got to think down the road in in all these cases. You do. You do. You have to think down the road. And, And again, I'm not saying people should just go for the sake of going. That's not the point. A lot of times... Uh, you know, you should be checking in either with the rehab clinic, obviously, that you're going for treatments, uh, with your family doctor, with a specialist, perhaps, if there is a pain that just doesn't go away, like knee pain, for example. You know, a lot of times I've had cases where uh, somebody has been complaining of knee pain or shoulder pain. Yes. And I've really pressed them. I said, listen, get a referral from your doctor to, to an MRI or, or to, an, to a specialist. And lo and behold, when they do that, then they find that they have a tear here or a chip bone there. You know, you got to do these investigations, not just for the legal uh, uh, portion of the claim, 
but just to, to understand what is going on with you. Without a proper diagnosis, how can you have proper treatments being offered? A, uh, a, an interesting question about what happens and where you go after the accident I got for you when you come back. And this, this, people have this, this question all the time because it's a really tough decision. But we'll get to that after we take a short break. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca is the email to get a hold of Savannah. And his number 416-216-5910. And you can call us here right at the radio station up until 1 o'clock for the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio AM 640. Yeah, you're at home right now, possibly this uh, this winter. Recently, anyway, you're in a, a car accident, collision. You've got some questions. You're at home. You're not working. You've, uh, you haven't seen a lawyer yet. Give us a call here in the station up until 1 o'clock. Outside that, 416-216-5910 is Savannah's number and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. I mentioned before the break uh, something that a lot of people, their doctors suggest. In fact, they give maybe a prescription to go get some physio done, some rehab. Um, how do you choose what clinic to attend? Because there's so many out there. Some are covered, some are not. What do you do? Right. And, and that's a very important question because I come across a lot of different people who, uh, you know, they come to me after they've been attending certain clinics. And of course, some are better than others. Mm-hmm. My main concern is this. It, it's that uh, the, the clinic you go to helps you. So the rule of thumb is that if the clinic, if, if the physiotherapist, the acupuncturist, the chiropractor, if they're not helping you or if they're pressuring you to attend when you feel that you don't need to attend, then you leave them and you go somewhere else. And what I usually tell people when they ask me where should I go is go to your doctor. Uh, they will recommend, that person will recommend to you a clinic or, or a bunch of clinics that you can choose from. Okay. And, you know, some people know of other clinics that their friends have gone to, uh, family members have gone to, and they have good reputations. Go to those places. One of the big problems that I see oftentimes is, is you know, when people go to a clinic and when they come to me and, and I look at the clinic's name and I recognize it, but in a bad way. Why is and that? I, well, because some clinics, uh, unfortunately, have been engaged in practices which... Uh, are less than kosher, let's put it really? that way. Yes, <laughs> really? exactly. And the problem is that insurance companies know it. They're insurance companies and, and, and the Insurance Bureau of Canada, they're very sophisticated. Uh, they know which clinics are, are legitimate, so to speak. They know which ones are actually providing the treatments that are being billed for. And the problem is that you can have a claim that is you know, very legitimate. The person is injured. They're, they're getting help. But they're going to a clinic that, you know, has an issue or has been flagged. And so, therefore, your claim then potentially could be flagged as a result of you attending that oh. facility. Uh, so, and I also know that there's a lot of lawyers out there who, when someone comes to them and says, where should I go? The lawyers then direct them to a particular clinic. I don't like that. I don't like that because then it casts a shadow on, on the clinic and the fact that the lawyer told this person to go to that particular clinic. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like somebody's suggesting a body shop for you. Oh, go see my buddy. Exactly. It's yeah. exactly right. I mean, right. it's just there's something there that I don't like. I, I don't like the perception, and a lot of it is about perception. That's why I tell people, make sure you go to your family doctor, get recommendations, go to that clinic, check it out. Or, or you know what? Go to a bunch of clinics, sure. check them out, uh, talk with the people who are either managing Audition those Audition them, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. is, at the end of the day, forget about the legalities of the claim. Yeah. You want to make sure you get better. Yeah. Very, very important. So if you're going to a clinic at like one in the morning, it's above a hasty market. Chances are it's probably not the best place for you. Right? Yes. Exactly. We'll get uh, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Have Hannah in Toronto. Hello, Hannah. Yes, hi. Hi, um, I was in an accident over a year ago, and I am wondering two things. One, how long do you have to be able to sue? Mm-hmm. And well, the second thing is, if you are not in the... MIG, the minor injury claim, and, and you got into the 50000 are you allowed to use that if you're planning on suing? 
Okay, so let's answer the first question. Uh, you have two years from the date of the accident to start a claim against whoever was at fault for the accident. Okay. Okay, so if it was only about a year or so uh, um, ago, then you still have time. Uh, with respect to the second question, uh, yeah, making a claim or suing the whoever was at fault uh, doesn't preclude you from using that 50000 Now, keep in mind, Hannah, and this goes for everyone, the fact that you have the 50000 available to you from your own insurance company for benefits doesn't mean, obviously, that your insurance company wants to shell that money out. So it's obviously very important to continue whatever treatments you're doing if they're helping you. And at some point, unfortunately, I would say in over 95% of claims, you are going to get cut off at some point. Uh, and, and, and that could, could result, uh, obviously, in you not being able to get treatments. Or if the clinic that you're going to uh, is used to dealing with car accident uh, uh, victims, mm-hmm. uh, then what they may do is they may tell you, listen, we'll continue your treatments. We understand that you may have a claim against the other driver as well as with your own insurance company. Uh, so we, we will sort of uh, you know, keep a tab for you. No kidding. And yeah, oh, okay. they, they will do that. Some clinics will do that. The only thing I would caution people is that if you are actually engaged in that and doing that, just make sure that you know how much money, how much is, is on tab. You know, yeah. you don't want to be, you know, a year down the road in a situation where suddenly you have $30,000 on tab. Yeah, no kidding. And the fact that you have that 50000 potentially from your insurance company, again, doesn't mean that they're going to want to pay that out. Right. So very, very important to deal with your insurance company in, in a certain way to ensure that you do get that money for your treatments. Now, you mentioned getting the, uh, the, the treatments. What if uh, you're getting them and they're not helping? Do you have to tell, A, the insurance company? Should you be back in contact with your doctor? Well, you know, it's, it's a common sense question for me. I mean, I would tell people if the treatments are not helping you, but you think that you still need some kind of treatment, right. go back to your family doctor, go back to the specialist that perhaps had referred you to, uh, to, to that treatment and tell them it's not helping. Now, you know, John, for every person, uh, the situation is different. Some people like chiropractic um, treatments. Some people will never set foot in a chiropractor's office, but they'll do acupuncture. So it really depends. And you do have that flexibility. At the end of the day, it's what works for you. And, and if, if something works for you uh, or a particular clinic work, works for you and, and the funds are available to you, you should be able to access them and get those treatments. If you're, uh, if, if you're getting treatment, though, and... Um it's not helping. You just get frustrated saying, oh, heck, well, I'm going to stop going. Would that have an effect on the claim? Yeah, it's going to have an effect on the claim. Uh, and again, you know, people stop treatments for a variety of reasons. Sometimes they stop because they don't have time, because they're right. back at work despite the pain, and they simply have no way of doing it. So here's, here's the catch-22 of the situation. If you're not getting those treatments, you can't ask for the funds for those treatments. Uh, accident benefits insurer refer to this as a burn rate. They, they are looking at how quickly are you burning uh, up the funds that are available to you for those treatments. So if a year passes uh, and, and you're outside the mix, so you have that 50000 available to you, uh, but you haven't really used the treatments for more than, let's say, two months, and let's say you're a year down the road or two years down the road, they're going to say, well, look, why should we be paying you anything for future treatments if the burn rate is effectively zero? On the other hand, if the burn rate is, let's say, $1,000 a month for treatments, well, then you can project how much of that $50,000 you are going to need for the next year, two years, three right. years. So, again, these are all calculations that uh, you know, lawyers like myself take into account, and a lot of lawyers, unfortunately, don't take into account when they're trying to negotiate a settlement with people's insurance companies. It's all companies. looking ahead, man. It's all it's, looking ahead. It's all looking ahead. It's all yeah. strategy, and it's all about how creatively to compensate the person uh, for, for everything that they require. You need a good firm. The number, 416-216-5910. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Lots more with Savannah and the Insurance and Injury Law Show right here on Talk Radio AM 640. 
Get to another uh, question for you here, then we'll bounce over to some emails. 416-216-5910 is Savan's number, help at the insurancelawyer.ca. Like I said, we'll get to a few of those. Now, if you uh, if you feel that a, a certain injury um, is very bad, but your doctor's maybe not sending you for further testing, you know, CAT scans, CTs, MRIs, or, or specialists, do you just come right out and say, look, I need more from your doctor? Go see another doctor? What do you do? Yes, I say that exactly. And again, it's not about the claim itself. Uh, I mean, for the claim, it's important that we identify exactly what the injury is. Uh, because, in fact, you can be placed in the minor injury guideline or you can have a situation where, where you know, a person is experiencing certain symptoms, uh, you know, like uh, uh, significant fatigue, yes. uh, sleeplessness, uh, lack of focus, uh, you know, a lot of symptoms that could potentially even uh, point to something very serious, like, like, a, like a traumatic brain injury, in fact, and I've had those cases, and doctors simply fail to diagnose these, these uh, uh, conditions. And so what I tell people is, look, if, if time passes and the rehab is not helping you, and it seems like something is bothering you, whether it's your shoulder, your knee, whatever it is, your back, go to your doctor and, and ask them to send you for more testing, yeah. S- send you to a specialist. You have no idea how many times I've seen situations where, and, and again, I, I bring up the, the knee and, and, and shoulder injuries because those are really common for me to see, where somebody is really complaining about you know, their left shoulder, for example, and it's obvious to me that something is wrong, that yeah. they can't lift their, their, hand, you know, their, their arm above shoulder level, something is off. How is it that they're not being sent for an MRI? How is it that they're not being sent to an orthopedic surgeon? And, and, and lo and behold, when they actually go to, the, to those people, they come back and there's a diagnosis of a tear or, or yeah. this or that. So very important, if something is bothering you, don't simply assume that your family doctor or the walk-in clinic doctor uh, has done everything. If something's bothering you, no one's telling you what's going on, press, push, because it's, it's your body. I mean, if, if it's not diagnosed properly, you're probably not getting the right treatments. Yeah. It could get a lot worse with age, too, right? A hundred percent, exactly, risk, right? exactly. It's it's just it's 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 horrible what I see sometimes. I grab an email. Uh, Joanne from Atomico says I've been off work because of a car accident since last November, which wasn't my fault. Uh, I worked full time for three years as a courier downtown. I feel like I can try to go back to work for you know a couple hours a day, and just wanted to know um, if that would affect my claim. Fantastic question, Joanne. Uh, well, first of all, uh, kudos to you for wanting to try and get back to work. Uh, and yes, it is going to affect your claim, and I'll tell you how. Generally speaking, a claimant that's injured, unless you're paralyzed and you really can't go back to work and there is no possibility for you to go back to work, you are expected at some point to try right. to go back to work. And, and I'll tell you what, if you try, even if it's an hour a day, an hour a week, something, and you're having difficulties and then you have to take more time off, again, there's credibility that is built just because you tried. Right. People like to see that. Nobody likes to see someone saying, you know, I have a little bit of back pain and now I can't do anything. I mean, come on, it's just not realistic. All of us have to get up in the morning and we have to go to work. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's going to affect your claim in that uh, you may be able to get some money, which is going to potentially reduce whatever compensation you get down the road for income loss. But it also means that your income loss, as it is for the future, is legitimate. It means that, you know, you really are trying. Now, there is another dimension to this, and I think that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get Lior involved here, is uh, it, it does happen occasionally where I have clients that try to go back to work, and one of two things happen. Okay. Either the employer or the client comes back to me and says, you know, I called my employer, and I told them I want to try and come back on modified duties, modified hours. And the employer says, no, you have to be 100% okay before you nothing. come back. It's all or nothing. Mm. And I've had other situations where, They've made that attempt to go back part-time on modified duties, and the employer says, sorry, we don't have a job for you now. 
So, you know, in that situation, I always go to Lior and I, and I tell my client, you know, you're in good hands and, and Lior perhaps can speak a little bit about what happens in those situations. So what happens? Well, thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm uh, glad to be on the show. So let me address the situation that you've raised, Savan. Uh, first of all, in order to trigger the obligation to provide accommodation, to provide modified duties, an employee's going to need something from a doctor. So it's yes. not enough for the person to say, well, I don't believe I can do the job full time. I need these modifications. It has to be something from a doctor that, that stipulates what the uh, disabilities or what the accommodations required. Once you have that from a doctor, it's really not up to the employer to say no. The employer has to do it. The employer has a strict duty to accommodate even if it's not easy to accommodate, they still have to do it. Uh, in some situations, if the accommodation is extreme, then the employer doesn't have to go that far, but it's fairly difficult to reach that point. So the employer has a duty to accommodate, very strict duty, and if the employer doesn't do that, then two things happen at law. Number one, your rights under the Human Rights Code have been violated. That's illegal. You have the right to be accommodated if you have a disability. And number two, potentially that's a termination. That's a constructive dismissal, which means you can leave against severance. So generally speaking, an employer has to accommodate. It's not up to them. And you trigger that by uh, providing uh, a doctor's note, a doctor's letter. Now, in a situation where the employer flat out says you can't come back to work, Again, if the, the decision to let the person go is legitimate and completely unrelated to the disability, maybe we close down the department. Right. Okay? Well, that's one thing. At that point, we're only talking about severance. Severance still has to be paid. But if it's really the decision is on the basis, well, we replaced you. We don't want you back. We think maybe you're, you're not at optimal health. Uh, we're concerned about your reliability. That is a human rights issue as well. So not only would someone be entitled to severance, potentially they're entitled to damages or compensation under the Human Rights Code. In all of these situations, this is where I'll conclude, if you're in that situation, you believe that the employer's not accommodating you or the employer's let you go, you need to give us a call. You need to get legal advice so we can find out more about your situation and see what you're owed. Just because the employer thinks you're damaged goods doesn't, uh, doesn't give them the right just to cut you off, No, it right? doesn't. Yeah. No, it doesn't. You know, John, actually, just uh, on, on this point about the fact that many people who are, in, uh, who are injured and then find themselves battling not only uh, the insurance companies mm -hmm. but their employer – uh, we actually have a few prominent uh, personal injury law firms in Toronto. In fact, our listeners have seen them uh, advertising throughout Toronto. And they actually have some of their clients coming to us and, and having Lior and some of our employment lawyers helping them. Again, the uniqueness of our practice is such that we're not only dealing with insurance companies and injuries, but also on the employment side. I mean, you're really getting a full gamut of protection. Because sometimes they, they do go hand in hand like the case we just mentioned. <laughs> exactly. Right? And, and yeah. it's more often, it's more common yeah. than people think. We'll get to uh, maybe more Lior. If not, you get a full hour. I'm coming up at 1 o'clock, so stick around. Savan's number, as you know, anytime is 416-216-5910. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. I can call Lou. He might be able to come here. I can see if he's here. He's probably on the road. He could be uh, selling your house anytime, Savan. I don't know. No? Uh, uh, you know what? Uh, Lou's I, I the just... guy to call. Yeah, yeah, Lou's the guy. No question about that. <laughs> Well, uh, we'll continue on here with uh, insurance and injury law. I have another question to email, then I want to get to a bunch of uh, other things as Let's well before we wrap it up. So Mary uh, from Richmond Hill writes on behalf of her son, saying, my son was in a car crash on Highway 400. Who hasn't been in a car crash on that highway? Uh, it was pretty bad, though. There were witnesses who said that the other car slid into my son's lane, uh, was in hospital for five days, and had surgery on his knee. He's 21. You know, he was studying to become an electrician. Here's the problem. Can he get his tuition back if... He has to quit the program. Yes. Yes, he can definitely do that. Uh, what we would want is we would want uh, 
you know, your son uh, or you or somebody on his behalf to contact the, um, the, the, the educational institution and, and tell them what happened. I mean, they have to know about the accident. And if, in fact, there, there is uh, there's nothing that can be done to salvage the, the, the money, the funds to get a refund, uh, then, yeah, that's going to become part of the out-of-pocket expense that your son is going to be able to advance uh, in, in his claim against the at-fault driver. But, but Mary, the, the bigger question here is this. If your son is really that severely injured, you know, the money that he's losing on the program is nothing compared to what he potentially could be losing as a result of not being able to work or not being able to do the profession that he's now chosen to do and now can't do. And, you know, he's, he's a young guy. So you're potentially looking at a very significant claim if his injuries are, in fact, permanent. So I, I, I would tell you, you know, give me a call or we, we can speak off air, I can speak with your son, just to explain exactly what, what the options are and what can be done and what has to be done now to ensure that the compensation that he receives down the road is, is going to really uh, be all-inclusive, not only with respect to the money that he's going to be losing on this program, but in terms of the money he's going to lose potentially in the future because he has difficulty working in that profession. Uh, so, so, yeah, very, very important that we get in touch. Again, the whole the whole theme of the show is looking ahead in the future is what you guys do because yes. the knee-jerk reaction for her son is, well, wait a minute, I'm going to lose my four grand. I was going to go to school this week. Right, because, right? but, but, but that, that makes sense, John, right? I mean, we, we live in a time where, you know, the now is what's important. We're yeah. looking, you know, it's paycheck to paycheck for many people. And, and, you know, I was supposed to be in this program and complete it next year, and I had plans. Maybe I had to do uh, an apprenticeship. That's right. what we're looking at. We're not looking at what's going to happen 10 years from now, uh, even five years from now. And again, for somebody who's that young, the repercussions could, could reverberate you know, decades into the future. Right. Extremely important to set the groundwork starting now. Otherwise, you know, if you make one, one mistake, that could affect the compensation by tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in right. the future. Let's assume Mary's uh, you know, son was at work. Let's look ahead to about effects of injury on work. So right. if a client asks you whether they should be going back to work or not, what do you tell them? I tell them, if you are able to go back to work, go back to work, uh, or, or at least try to get back to work. And I guess it, it goes back to the um, to, to, to this, this principle of credibility, which is so central to personal injury claims. How many times have we seen people saying, you know, I was in a car accident and, uh, you know, my back hurts, my neck hurts, and I can't do anything. You know, when I was working for insurance companies and I was questioning people who were injured, if I saw somebody like that, you know, let's say 35 years old, 40 years old, uh, you know, who's working either at a desk job or e- even a manual labor job, yep. and I'm not seeing, the person is not paralyzed. I'm not seeing any injury that would preclude them from doing something to earn money. And they're telling me that they can't do absolutely anything. There's no credibility there. I mean, I, I just, I don't buy it. I'm sorry. So, you know, unless, unless the injury that you've suffered is such that you can't do absolutely anything. And John, that's not to say that... A, a, a sprain or, or um, an injury to your back and to your neck means that you can go back to work. It doesn't mean that. What I'm saying is that we have to look at the context. We have to look at what is the person saying that they can do or can't do. Degrees of. Right? Degrees of is extremely important. In fact, when I prepare my clients for, for questioning when they're questioned, I usually say, you know, try to avoid saying I can't do unless you really can't do something. So, for example, somebody asks you, can you uh, vacuum at home? And you say, no, I can't. Uh, well, do you mean you can't vacuum at home? Difficult. Or do you mean it's difficult right. and you try to avoid it because of the pain? Th- that's, those are completely different yeah. questions gotcha. and, and, and different answers. So very important. If you're able to go back to work or at least try to go back to work, 
it's important that you try not only for yourself and for your family if you need to feed them, uh, but also because from a legal standpoint, it gives you credibility. It means that you've, you've tried to get back on the horse. Okay, so you go down that, uh, down that road, you tried to go back, lo and behold, you can't because of the injury. Now, how does that affect the claim? Well, that strengthens that. That makes your claim uh, much stronger now. Uh, and, and again, for the same reason that I've outlined before, because now you have credibility. And a lot of times, I'll tell my clients, you know, okay, you haven't been able to go back now. Uh, we have to make sure that your HR or employer, manager, whoever it is, records that you tried to get back to work. Your family doctor or the doctor you're seeing, the specialist, they have to know you've tried to go back. Uh, give it a few months and then try again. Try it a few times. And, and again, you know, it's it's it comes back to. How does the claim look? How does the person uh, look to the insurance company when they're not trying? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely if you can't go back to work but you've tried, it, it just means that your claim is that much stronger now when you're seeking compensation for your losses. If you're at a point where now you've gone – now we'll go ahead a little further. You've gone back to work on what Lior would call uh, modified duties, maybe a few hours, different duties – you're thinking, is this going to affect my claim? Can you do both? Can you have your cake and eat it too? How does that affect your claim if you're working somewhat? Okay, well, yes, because you're not actually having your cake and eating it too. You're, you're going on modified duties. And, and, and a lot of times that means part-time, and it may mean less income. So, for example, let's say you're working at a job making $40,000 a year, and you're able to go back part-time, and you're making $20,000 a year. Okay. Well, obviously, you still have an income loss. And by the way, it's not just a straightforward calculation of, well, here's what I was earning before, and here's what I'm earning now. What happens if you can't do overtime? What happens if you, you, know, you, you, you were um, uh, working two jobs and you can only return to one job? As, as long as we can show what you did before the accident, we're looking at your tax returns, we're looking at the income you're earning, at what you were able to do before, and comparing it to the after, and, and, and showing that there in fact is a loss that is ongoing, you're going to be compensated for that loss. It's a question of how we present that to the insurance company. It's a question of how we build that up by sending it to certain experts that are going to give us the tools to then force the insurance companies to acknowledge that there is a loss. So people, they, this segment was very important because a lot of people would be gun-shy even to go back to work saying, oh, if they see me work, they're going to cut me off. No, 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 right? no, no. It's actually going to give you credibility. And I'll, I'll tell you more than this. If, in fact, you, you don't go back to work, but then, uh, you know, you're obviously going on vacations and, and can, you know, uh, snow plow outside yeah, yeah, or yeah. grass cut, you know, again, it affects credibility. Right. If you can go back to work or try to go back to work, you should. 416-216-5910 is Savan's number. Write that down. You'll need it any time we're not on the air. And help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Get to our last segment here. Wrap up the hour with the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio AM 640. Get back to where we left off. My friend got a few more questions for you. So if someone is uh, that will like, go back to work full-time, no modifications, kind of a grin and bear it scenario, right? Tremendous pain at the end of the day. Uh, but because of the injuries, um, can she still be compensated and for what? Yes, she can. And uh, the principle that we look at in these situations is, is that person as competitive in the workforce as they would have been but for the accident. So in a situation, for example, a uh, manual labor job, uh, for instance, you have somebody who perhaps can do the work and has been doing the work for years and years and years, and now after the accident, after some time of rehabilitation, the person went back to work, but you know, they're, when they finish work at the end of the day, they, exactly, they go home and they just lie on the couch and they can't get up. Uh, so, yeah, the, the, the issue then becomes, well, if that person lost their job, would they be as competitive in the workforce uh, as against other people uh, who are of the same age and the same capacity, et cetera? And, and the argument is, and the courts have recognized that in a case like this where someone is injured 
uh, but is able to do the work, although with pain, with tremendous pain, they should be compensated for the fact that they are less competitive in the workforce. And how do you come around to that calculation? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's, right? It's a very abstract proce- uh, process. That really hinges on how the lawyer that you have uh, is presenting your claim, outlining your claim, the experts that are retained to to provide support to your claim. So there's no hard and fast rules. I, I, I can just tell you that in those situations, you really have to be creative as a lawyer in, in, in really uh, getting the right people to give the right opinions so that you can press the insurance company and explain to them the significance of those injuries on this person's ability to get work in the future. Is there a chance that in that situation, the, the these monies, this compensation could be for a longer term because the person is back at work, but they're dying. Like, yeah. could this be, could, can you maybe calculate this if, say, the person's 42 to the age of 65? There's a variety of ways of calculating them, and, and courts have looked at, at different ways. It really depends. It's really, really fact-specific. Uh, and, and I say that because you can have someone who, uh, you know, is, was working three jobs before the accident and, you know, has returned back to two jobs. So there is the actual loss of income claim for the third job, but also for the loss of competitiveness for the fact that they can't do that third job. So not only for the actual income that they're losing, but the fact that they're less competitive. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. There's a variety of models of, of how to uh, figure out what those losses are. And, and, you know, John, one of the things that I emphasize in my practice to the lawyers that work with me is when we're dealing for the lawyers for the at-fault insurance companies, it's very important that we, when, we, when we present a number that, that, that explains the losses of my client, that we give a logic, that, that we give a breakdown of how it is that we came to those numbers. Right, sure. And again, very fact-specific, really depends on the medical documents we have, on the experts that we have. And the more, the more effort you put into that exercise, the more your client will get compensated at the end of the day. It's just that simple. If the insurance company you know, sees a lawyer saying, oh, yeah, my guy went back to work full time and they're having some aches and pains, they're not going to pay as much as if you have a different lawyer in the same fact scenario, but saying, you know what, we've retained this vocational expert, we've, we've retained this accountant, there is this doctor, all these people are so giving due reports, diligence, right? due diligence, and again, you have these experts building up this, this loss that now we have right. to crystallize somehow so that we can tell the insurance company, here's how much you have to pay. Last time we had that email from Mary whose son was about to go to school and wanted to recoup the tuition. How about a different scenario where someone is a student and because of an accident, uh, they're unable to complete a program they're already in? How does that factor? Again, very, very fact-specific because we have to look at how they were doing in school before uh, the, the accident. And I, I, do have, uh, I do have claims like that with people, especially uh, minors uh, who, who are uh, in grade school or high school and they've suffered injuries that are affecting their grades. Or if you're dealing with someone who's in college and has, has been working towards a degree for a year or two and are now forced to either delay that program or to stop that program altogether, you're looking at very significant injuries if in fact that person's uh, impairments uh, the, the the their inability to complete the program is going to be affecting them long term because look i mean you know y- you could be completing a program that will allow you to then earn 60 70 80,000 dollars a year right. now you can't do that and can you do any other work probably but you know what are we talking about in terms of of a salary going forward and again think about this if you're you know 18 years old 20 years old 25 years old we got to look long term. I mean, we're looking at, at significant losses. And again, very, very important to make sure that that's presented properly to the insurance company. 
because their job is to minimize those losses. Their job is to come back and say, no, this person can be retrained. Your job then as the lawyer representing the person right. is to make sure that you say, listen, my guy will do everything that he can possibly or she can possibly do to retrain. But if there are limits on that retraining, if the injuries don't allow them right. to complete the program of their choice or, or an equivalent program, you are on the hook for paying them the compensation that would, would, would compensate them for the losses for sure. in the future. So we've got about a minute here. Just, uh, just take it home right to, to the end of the show, what people should be doing if they're thinking about giving you a call, if they're in that sort of situation right now. Well, don't hesitate because you know knowledge is power, especially when it comes to this kind of, of um, a topic where you've been injured or a family member has been injured or a friend has been injured. You know, and they, the claim doesn't seem to be, you know, to be going anywhere. They don't have representation or they have representation, but they can't get a hold of their legal representative and they don't know what's going on. Or, or, or you know, you have what seems like a very significant injury or claim and, and, and really nothing is happening both from the medical side. No one is sending you anywhere. Uh, you know, your lawyer or if you don't have a lawyer, the insurance company is just uh, not responding to you, not answering your phone calls or are just being difficult with you. Make sure you give me a call. I mean, you have nothing to lose. At the end of the day, all that's going to happen is you're going to have information. And that information is going to allow you to proceed in the best uh, course uh, that, that, that is is right for you for sure. and, and right for your family. And, and you know, you'll be able to properly uh, compensate yourself for the injuries that you have. The number is outside of show hours, like right now, 416-216-5910 to get a hold of Savan and email him anytime as well. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. Back again next weekend to do it all over again. The Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio, AM 640.